Well, good morning. How's everyone this morning? Thankful. Praise the Lord. Anybody cold like me? <laughs> Everett. I got, we kind of connected last Sunday. We're, we're kindred spirits. Uh, yeah, I, uh, this vest doesn't mean I'm in a hurry to leave. It means I'm cold. And I've got three layers on underneath. But anyway, I'm excited to be here. My name is Pastor Bob Bartlett. Uh, most of you I know, some of you I've met briefly. Uh, and um, it's good to have you here. Uh, it's good to bring the Word of God this morning. Um, and I trust you're going to be encouraged and blessed and understand how good believers in Jesus Christ have it when it comes to the things of this world. Uh, I had Austin read a little bit more. This is part two uh, of my uh, series out of Psalm 37. As Paul alluded to a synchronized life. And uh, these are dark and perilous times that we live in. And the psalmist makes note of that, doesn't he? In Psalm 37, if you read it, you'd think that David penned it yesterday to encourage us. It's really an apocalyptic psalm. Uh, but more importantly, I, I wanted him to go through verse 19 so that you get a real perspective, a real understanding of the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever between a godless world and God's world or God's kingdom, amen? And though these are, these are perilous times, uh, times that can stir the heart and bring great angst into our lives, Psalm 37 uh, is really written that you and I might experience the abundant life. And you know what the abundant life is, don't you? It's not just where Christians, we go into survival mode, but we go into thriving mode. As Jesus declared in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly, the abundant life. If you weren't here on September 25th, when I spoke, was anybody here that day? Now, I understand a recent survey just came out, uh, and Paul, I know you a little bit alluded to, but uh, do you know that 92% of parishioners can't remember what the pastor preached on the week before? Uh, that's why Paul sends out his, his weekly, how many, let's be honest, show of hands. I know sometimes, oh, nobody opened up my file. Uh, who opens up Paul's weekly? All right. <laughs> You don't have to, because if you've got a, a memory like my wife, then you're going to remember everything I said today, and you're going to remember it for 40 years. You know, the other day, I was amazed. The other day, you know, she told me that we got this blanket on our wedding day, and she identified who gave it to us. The woman has got a steel trap. Uh, I don't. Um, anyway... Uh, almost two months ago, I spoke on Psalm 37. And little did I know that three days later, my world would blow up. If God doesn't have a sense of humor, uh, some of you know, we, we have a place down on the beach in Fort Myers and uh, wiped away. Uh, 
and I was comforted. By the way, I had written, handwritten the notes that I'm sharing today uh, before that disaster. But verse 19, as Austin read, in times of disaster, they will not wither. And so I just thought, get it out of the way. I was telling uh, Nick this morning, you know, how's it going? Oh, I'm really, it's really going great. I said, I'm getting tired of answering questions. So uh, we're just going to cover a few things. Charlton, let's go ahead and put that first picture up there. So see where that white car is? Uh, that's our place right in front of it. Uh, okay, the next picture. That's, that was the front door of our condo. Uh, it looks like the great white shark got it. Uh, but the force of the water just kind of blew through the ground floor, uh, blew out the, the patio windows, blew out the front door, and of course turned the whole place upside down. Third picture. Now, how many of you like God's stories? You like God's stories? You know, it is so important. If, if you got young kids, moms and dads, Psalm 77, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. It's so important to teach our children to remember the deeds of the Lord, the great things, the mighty things he has done. An inventory, if you will. So that little picture there, that's, that's me down in Florida. Uh, last week in October, I went down to... Uh, I mean, I knew the damage. I'd seen the pictures, but kind of boots on the ground. And uh, so that picture is a picture of my three grandchildren. And that picture is the first year they came down. Nine years ago, they came down and my wife took that picture and we went to CVS and and uh, had it blown up and bought one of these little refrigerator magnets. And uh, that's been on our fridge down there. Well, interesting um, is it was up high on the side of the fridge and the tidal waters came in with such force, it lifted everything up. Uh, our, some of our dining room furniture was in the bedroom. The walls were all blown out. Uh, and um, But the, the refrigerator got lifted up and, and thankfully it got, came down on top of the stove. Uh, and prevented it from going underwater. About a foot above the waterline was this picture. Uh, and about the only thing, the only thing that was salvageable. Isn't that cool? And then, of course, the last picture, the real stress and strain of it all was, yeah, there's me. Uh, had a little R&R. &R. Uh, don't show this to my wife, because uh, she thinks I went down there and suffered a lot of stress. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, we had the opportunity to go up. My sister lives up in Bradenton uh, and had a couple days to just uh, go to the beach and frolic in the ocean. I didn't know she took that picture, but anyway. Psalm 37 Back to the Psalm 37, details and describes vividly uh, for us who are in Christ, for believers in that day, the peril and the angst of living in a life where all around us uh, being run, overrun more and more by a godless, senseless, and ruthless culture. And in spite of that, and in lieu of that, God gives us a promise. If you remember from my first message, he will do. Uh, Jim Simmons, our resident Hebrew scholar, we were talking about this after church, and you know, the, in the Hebrew language, they don't have prepositions like we do. If you read verse 5, it says, he will do it or he will do this. But in original Hebrew, it's, it's just he will do. 
And you remember I talked about slam dunk, uh, like in basketball, slam dunk. God will do this. God will do this. God will bring us to safe pasture. And the idea is this corral that's guarded and guided by the sovereignty of our Lord, of our God. You know one thing unique about Psalm 37? is only four times in the Old Testament where we're commanded to not fret. Do not fret. Did you pick that up in the reading this morning? Of the four times in the Old Testament where do not fret, three are found in Psalm 37. So you think God's driving home a point, do not fret. And that, that word in the Hebrew language literally could be translated, don't spontaneously combust, right? Don't be so overcome with anger, you, you set your world on fire, if you will. And so God is telling us, yeah, I, I understand it. I see it all. And, and God's even laughing at our enemies this morning. All over the land, all over the world, where the wicked dwell and the wicked desire and do carry out their schemes, God is mocking them. God is mocking them. So I want to answer the question, address what is a synchronized life? And first thing I want you to tell you, it's not pop psychology. It's not some pseudo psychological terms where we find ourselves, we get in tune or we get in rhythm with nature or our inner self. That's all a lie. It comes from originally Genesis 1.26, when God said, let us make man in our image and let him dwell among us. The synchronized life is simply the design of God to be in step with and set our lives to God and his word. That's the synchronized life. And the reality is, and David reminds us, there are a lot of wicked, prosperous people. There's a lot of people pursuing stuff and things in this world. And David reminds us that if we miss this, any human being misses this, we miss the meaning and purpose of life. It is to dwell with God. So in, in the first part of the message, remember the first three things that David outlines is trust in the Lord. In other words, bet the bank on him. Proverbs 3, 4, trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your heart, all your being, remember? Everything you got, trust God. And lean out on your understanding because some things in this world just don't make sense to a human finite mind. Amen? Amen. And then he says, delight in. And that word, you remember, meant to seize it, to take delight, that we must, we must battle for the joy of the Lord. Paul writes in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. We have to inventory how good we have it in Christ. I'm going to share this week's chapel message with the hockey team, 15 things a believer should thank God for every single morning. I do it when he wakes or when she wakes. How good we have it. The relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And lastly, to commit to. And if you remember, that was the Hebrew word they're meant to roll into one, like uh, chocolate chips and cookie dough and roll into one or two paths 
converging to one. My path, your path, with God's path. Amen? Not the other way around. So much of Christianity wants a God that will adjust to their path, to their lifestyle. It doesn't work that way. David is making that abundantly clear. We have to be, as Jeremiah said in chapter 6, verse 16, stand at the crossroads. Stand where the two paths converge and ask for the ancient paths and where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. The idea of a synchronized life is throughout the Old Testament. And so this morning, this is really a continuation of a deeper understanding of what it means to commit to the Lord. How do I then become one with God? How do I converge my path with God's? You know, Oswald Chambers says, biblical ethics, biblical ethics remind us that the ultimate aim of Christ's atonement is that God may readily adjust people to himself. Amen? So I made three observations. They're still applicable. Uh, I send out my weekly text this week, a little bit of the, uh, the uh, prophetic warnings of both the Apostle Paul and the prophet Daniel. But we live in a culture today with every human advancement, every human achievement, excuse me, without a moral compass, whether it's technology, medicine, science, without, without a moral compass, we continue to fall into an ever-darkening abyss. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, they became fools instead. I like to put in that word, professing to be woke. They became fools instead. This woke agenda that is on our culture today. But both Paul and Daniel speak to that end. What a godless culture will look like. And Daniel uses the word, the Hebrew word is henna, which means unnatural. Everything is going to become unnatural. We're now going to ensure and delight that babies are murdered. That men can call themselves boy. Did anybody see the video this week of the, the transgender volleyball, high school volleyball player? Anybody see that? He spiked the ball so hard into the face of a girl and the, uh, broke her face. You know, uh, Ben Shapiro had a little blip on it. Everything is becoming unnatural. Marriage is becoming unnatural. Fatherhood is becoming unnatural. Motherhood is becoming unnatural today. This is what it will be like, a tire, an entire culture given over, living unnatural. But we are not without hope. And that's the second observation, right? As we live more and more in this godless culture, it's so important. It, we have to be careful. We have to guard and be hopeful, right? Hopeful, full of hope, hopeful. Because we serve the God of hope. Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I watched a video, uh, this was about a month ago, and quite by accident, I, I actually texted Paul later, Hey, have you ever heard of this guy, Dr. Jordan Peterson? And Paul, of course I have, you know. And I texted Thomas, a friend of mine who's a, 
believers, a uh, uh, psychiatric uh, nurse, and I said, hey, have you ever heard of this Jordan Peterson? Oh, of course I have. I've got his book. Uh, what is it, 12 Rules for Living? Uh, well, anyway, uh, you know, I'm always the last one to know anything. Uh, but you can trust me with this word this morning. Um, but anyway, I watched this interview uh, with him, and he's uh, really a brilliant mind. He's he's really conservative. I don't think he's got a testimony in Christ, but it almost appears as he does. He has been banned from Twitter. Uh, liberals hate him. What? Not anymore as of yesterday. Oh, well, praise the Lord. He's back on Twitter. But he's got a unique, I think, uh, a, a tremendous wisdom uh, on the analysis of our culture today. So I watched this hour and 15-minute interview um, I can't even remember who the interview was. He was a British guy, but, um, and I just started taking some notes um, because I think he's really got a perspective on the culture we're living in. I think he just nailed it. And he said these things, young people are dying today, literally dying for an encouraging word. Social media, yes, it brings the world to your fingertips, but it also brings the world into your face. I like that. Graphic trauma, with graphic trauma, graphic tragedy, graphic anger, graphic hate, we are bombarded. Our young people are being bombarded with this narcissistic, demoralizing medium. He said, we are living. He didn't quote it, but he said, we are living in the most demoralized generation in history. And he began to weep. This was towards the end of the interview. He said, it's demoralizing to see how constantly, how many young people are dying, are literally dying for the, from the lack of an encouraging word. That's our world. That's our world. And that's my third observation. In a dark and perilous world, now is the time. And God promises what in verse 6? He will make your righteousness shine like the, like the dawn, the, dust, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. What he's saying is it's our time, believers in Jesus Christ, to shine. Just like Paul mentioned uh, in Philippians, as we hold out the word of life, we'll shine like stars. We have the answers. We have the hope. We have it all in Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, make Christ preeminent. Set apart Christ in your heart. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone for the reason, that the, for, the reason for the hope you have. And we do this with gentleness and respect or grace. And to do that, we need to be found on the rock, as David would declare a few verses or a few psalms later, Psalm 61, 2, from the ends of the earth I call to you. I call to you as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So it is important that we are founded on the rock, and that is Jesus Christ, who himself said, the immovable, the unshakable rock, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in the practice, obeys them and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its house on the rock. And then he talks about the antithesis. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. He built his house on the sand. The same life circumstances. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and bam, it fell with a great crash. Everybody, everybody apart from Jesus, someday the house is going to collapse. Amen? Someday, the house is going to fall with a great crash. Someday, that unbeliever, that godless, that wicked that David pens about will stand before a holy, righteous, and blameless God and have to give an account. You talk about being undone. So let's look at four points. Verse 7, what we're focusing on. Be still. Before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Uh, this one verse really packs a punch, to say the least. Uh, be still. And the idea here is that God is not found on the run. And that Hebrew word means it means be still, it means be silent, but it, most of all, it means stop. Stop. Like freeze in your tracks. Moms, Haley, you ever had to yell at your kids? Stop right? You got to freeze them in their tracks. That's what God is saying. Stop. Stop. All of the world's voices, all of the world's activities, all that seeks to pull us away that will attempt to overrun our lives, we have to be intentional to step off the treadmill. Step off. It's time to be still. It's time to stop. Jesus demonstrated that in Mark 6, 46. He'd spent the whole day in ministry, a good and noble shepherd. And after leaving them, I would imagine he was exhausted. You know, he was the son of God and he was the son of man, meaning he had attributes of God, but he had attributes of man so that we could identify with him. So I imagine he had this incredible day of ministry, serving people, for 12 hours, I'm exhausted. I got to go home and lay to bed. No, what does he do? He goes up on a mountainside to pray. And he prays all night. He prays all night. What does this demonstrate? The necessity to stop. If it's good enough for Jesus, as I always say, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen? Stop. Stop. We need to understand, Christians, that there is nothing, there's a lot of good things, God blesses, and, but there's nothing, overall, there's nothing redemptive in this world. Nothing, nothing. John writes in his epistle in uh, 1 John 2, 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
That's why Jesus said in John 18, making it incredibly clear to his disciples in verse 36, because they're pulling at him, you know, hey, come on, be attached to this world. One guy even comes to him and says, hey, I got some squabbles with my siblings over the estate of my family. And Jesus said, I don't got nothing to do with that. He said, my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. Good enough for Jesus, good enough for me and you, right? My kingdom, neither is mine and neither is yours. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. That's what we should be focused on. That's what we should be living for. Kingdom work. That's why we seek first, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, we have to. This isn't natural. This is, a, this is a supernatural work. We have to guard against the scurry and the hurry, all that would seek to pin down our lives. And remember, our original design was to live in harmony and dwell with God. Number two, before the Lord, uh, that, that feeling is synchronized. So I have a question. Does anybody know what was so significant about November 6th? Just just happened. Uh, what? It was Haley's birthday. Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> anybody, come on. Somebody's got to know. I offer the hockey players $20. If I ask a trivia question, you get it right, $20. And What? D-Day? Money's off the table. <laughs> Daylights, savings, time. And what did we do and what did half the world do? We sink. What? Yeah, he slept in. I love it. I love it when people are honest. Oh, I get an extra hour. No, we all set. We all synchronized our clocks. Amen? Amen? So that we'd all be on the same schedule. We'd be all on the same page. We'd all be at the, at the same time. This is the idea that David is conveying, is to set your life before God. To set your life before God. I'm going to get into the imagery in a little bit more. But Isaiah says the same thing in Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait upon the Lord. Well, what? We all know it. We'll renew their strength, right? They'll mount up like wings of an eagle and soar, right? Soar. Now, I don't expect anybody, but anybody remember months ago, uh, I did a message about Jesus when he said the kingdom of God is within you and the significance of that, you know, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit would come and, and now right? The kingdom of God, which is just the presence of a holy God in our lives. And you have to understand how significant that is. You see, the prophets for three and four thousand years, they didn't have that opportunity. Yes, they could come into the presence of God or the presence of God would come into them or come before them like Isaiah We live before, we live before holy God, whether we realize it or not, every single day. 
Did you wake this morning with the understanding that my life is before a holy, sovereign God? He sees it all. He knows it all. He watches over it all. If ever somebody saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you know what that did? Like when Isaiah came into the presence of the Lord in chapter 6, do you remember the first thing he said? Whoa! Whoa! There was some perspective there. Amen? He came into the holy presence of God. He came into the same holy presence of God that lives and dwells within our hearts. Whoa! I'm unclean. And I live among a people who are unclean. What is he saying? Step off the treadmill. It's time to come into the presence of a holy God. And when we do that, we get a clearer image, a deeper understanding of the majesty and the holiness of God. I appreciate you girls singing that song. It's one of my favorite songs. I, was it two weeks ago I asked you? Or was it last week? Two weeks ago. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I just love, if I'm studying, I just put that song in there. Um, and obviously, uh, God has given me a mouth gift, but I like to come into the presence of God and just zip it, zip it. Step three. Oh, I've got to close with my most important point. Understanding that nothing in the world can shape you and I like coming into the presence of a holy God. Understand that nothing is more important, not my role as a father, not my role as a husband, not my role as a grandfather, not even my role as a pastor. Nothing is more important than coming in to the holy presence of the glory of God. Because he's the supply, right? When Jesus went up on the mountain, he showed us who is the supply and how important it is to connect. Don't have an outlet here. There's one. Anybody know what happened if you took a screwdriver and stuck it in that outlet and got any electricians? Get a little jolt. Yeah, we all know it's the power supply. But if we don't plug in, if we don't plug in, all the knowledge in the world won't be put to good use. I love Moses writing in Deuteronomy 4.29, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. And I go back 50 years. I was on a mountain in Maine, broken, hurting, sinner, uh, everything, desperate for God. And I cried out to God one night, all alone, in the dark, there was a moon. He said, God, if you're real, show me. God, I mean, I was taunting, I gotta be honest. I was a mocker, I was a proud mocker, but I was a broken man. I said, if you're, God, if you're real, show me. God, if you're real, lead me to yourself. And a little while later, he gave me that verse and he was faithful and led me to the rock that is higher than I, praise God solitude, and wait patiently, and wait patiently. We've stepped off, 
We've got to set our lives to a holy God and the holy word of God. And now we're going to wait patiently. And that simply means to be alone and to get alone with God. I call it the fortress of solitude. I came up with that, by the way, long before Superman did. Just want you to know. A fortress of solitude. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And this is one of my six morning meditations. The Lord is my sanctuary, my hiding place, and my abiding place, the place I must go to, the place I must run to. If I believe everything else, why is it imperative? Well, first of all, it's perspective. David writes in Psalm 16, 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I've got no good thing. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. It's to recognize how empty and depraved you are and I am. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is nothing good. I had this wonderful conversation with my oldest granddaughter driving up Friday night to the hockey game. You know, she's just, just, just a little bit of sin, granddad, in somebody's life, and they've done all good their whole life, just a little bit of sin. Yeah, honey, that's true. You see, because we serve a holy, righteous God. Imagine the whole world blanketed with white, not snow, because in some places it would melt, but white fake snow everywhere. Just imagine the whole world covered. Everywhere you look, just white. White, probably need sunglasses, right? And I said, there, over in the middle of Africa, on uh, a country, there, out in the middle of this white desert, there's a stain of crimson. That's what one sin, that's what one sin looks like to God. There is no one, I told her, right? There is no one righteous. The word teaches us, honey. I said, I had some good qualities about it. I mean, fortunately, your grandmother saw enough good qualities even to roll the dice with me. I can only thank God. But at the end of the day, I knew, I knew I was a sinner. You know, the other thing it does is perspective. Now we realize, I said to the Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. David says it in verse four. Two verses later, if we don't keep the perspective, here's what he says. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Power, prestige, privilege, social status, you name it. Brings a lot of sorrows. But ultimately, you know what happens? I was going to preach on this someday. Oh, maybe I will in six months and nobody will remember I said this. But verse 8. I love verse 8. Got it memorized. I have nine verses memorized in Psalm 37. But verse 8, because I have set the Lord before me, because I have set the Lord, in some translation, I have set the Lord before me at my right hand. I've always done it. I will always do it. I can't say that because for 25 years I lived apart from Christ. But because God is at my right hand, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. You know, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, steadfast and immovable, unshakable, unstoppable, unquenchable. The uns could go on and on and on. 
when we are rooted and grounded in Christ. My wife, this is a couple Sundays ago, and I, I, Nick asked me, hey, how's things going down in Florida? I said, well, uh, I, I don't really want to talk about it, because my wife, about two weeks ago, you know what? Everybody's sick of hearing about stuff in Florida, you know, and we're all busy. We all have trials and troubles and, and stuff like that. But I'll just say this. My world for the last 60 days has been absolutely upside down. But from day one, I praise and thank the Lord because Psalm 19, in times of disaster, they will not wither. We will live in the land and enjoy plenty. And God has supplied plenty of peace and joy and contentment, and we've got to move on. Step four is the girl saying this morning, the sovereignty of Scripture. So we've got to stop. We've got to synchronize. We've got to be still, uh, come into the Lord in solitude, and then let the sovereignty of scriptures govern. Not only that time, but our lives. The Bible is the voice of God. Word of God speak. Genesis 1-3, and God said. I just did a devotion uh, last week with the hockey team on the importance of God's word. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and whatever God said, it was so, and it came to be. And God said, let us make man in our image. Right? That's why life is sacred. He said, that's why life has meaning, because we're made in the image of God. You cannot profess Christ and profess that it's okay to murder babies. I said, you can't do it. As a believer, you can't do it. You can try to reconcile it. You can try to converge your path or ask God to converge with his path, but it can't be done. That precious baby, and we could go on, marriage, everything else is established in Genesis 1. His word makes the synchronized life possible. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, more powerful than a double-edged sword, able to penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit. That's all the garbage going on me, my soul, my mind, my will, my my emotions, and the spirit, the Holy Spirit of a holy, righteous, pure God. Amen? Every time we read the word of God, We bring the holy presence of God into our midst, into our lives. How much more when we walk in obedience to it. You and I would not and could not understand the sovereignty and the majesty of a holy God without understanding the sovereignty and the majesty of his holy word. And God said, and so for you and I to live this synchronized life, a commitment to God, the word of God has to be deeply planted in my heart and securely held, held fast in my mind, right? Then we hear, then we see, then we experience the presence of God. And whether it was 4,000 years ago, prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, David, The holy presence of God changes us. 
And what's at the end of this synchronized life? God promises, verse 11, but the meek, those who are entrusted to sync their lives with God will inherit the land. You know, one day we're going to reign with Christ. We're going to inherit the land, a good land, a pure land, a holy land. And what? We're going to enjoy great peace, something that Jesus promised, John 14, 27, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, or my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. This is a peace that passes all understanding. This is a peace that no matter what storm is raging in our lives, what trials and troubles are encamped around us, it doesn't matter how big the enemy is. This is David practicing slinging stone. I used to when my grandson was little. I bought this little plastic helmet and a sword and I was Goliath. What kind of a dog am I that you would send a boy out to fight? And then he circled his little imaginary, went down. And Grandma never liked the part. Took out the sword and cut my head off, you know, <laughs> pretended. Uh, that's the God we serve. Why? Paul, you alluded to this last week. Why was David victorious? Well, first and foremost, because he understood what it was to come into the holy presence of God. Amen? Because what was the thing that was most offensive to David? Was Goliath, what? Cursing his holy God. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you understand the power, the majesty, and the sovereignty, and the holiness, and the goodness, and the righteousness, and the blessings, you can name it all, are with you and I today and upon our lives? Let's pray. God, thank you, this uh, powerful truth. Lord, let, let all of our hearts, mine first, Lord, be stirred today to synchronize our lives with you, to be purposeful and intentional, to stop, to get off that treadmill, Lord, to synchronize, to be still, and understand the sovereignty of your word. May it Speak to us, may it move us, may it guide us and direct us this week as we go out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.